all 25 verses. <clears throat> I'm going to read the entire book again. Because we're going to be looking at the, particularly the last eight or ten verses, but I'm going to read the entire thing. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, and to Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, to our beloved Athea, and our Kippus, and our fellow soldier, and the, to the church in thy house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love, because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. Wherefore, though I might be much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient, yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul the aged, now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I beseech thee for my son, Onesimus, whom I have begotten in my bonds, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and, un and to me, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own bowels whom I would have retained with me, that in thy stead he might have ministered unto me in the bonds of the gospel. Without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be as it were of necessity, but willingly. For perhaps he therefore departed for a season, that thou shouldest receive him forever. Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, specially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner, receive him as myself. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that in mine account. I, Paul, have written it with mine own hand, I will repay it. Albeit I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord, refresh my bowels in the Lord. Having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. But withal, prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be given unto you. There salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that we have to be assembled together tonight. Thank you for your word. And the opportunity and privilege is ours to open it, to study it, to show ourselves approved. Unto God, a workman needs not to be ashamed. And so the Lord just speak to our hearts tonight. Encourage us, challenge us as we look into this passage of Scripture. And Lord, just encourage and strengthen, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in this passage, or in this little book, of 25 verses. Of course, we looked at several things in the past couple of weeks. Last week we looked at the look at the um, um, yeah, and I can't remember the title of the message last week. Challenging a brother in in, in the, uh, walk with the Lord. That was kind of the idea last week. But anyway, tonight I want the title. I've titled this a glorious exchange. Somebody said this little book 
is the greatest example in the Bible of imputation, the doctrine of imputation. You know, the word to impute uh, is found several places in the Bible. In fact, um, in James 2.23, James 2.23, using the example of Abraham, as it does in, in Romans 4, but 2.23 of James, it says, And Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Now, the word impute is an accounting term. It means to reckon to or to impute or to place on one's account. And you have an example of that here in real life. Of course, Paul in relation to Onesimus. Uh, it's also used many times. In fact, if you want to go to Romans chapter 4, is the greatest, where it's used quite often, Romans 4, verses 1 through 7, where it says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaineth to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. What saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted, and that's the same word, really, counted, unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned, and there, that's the same word there also, reckoned, means the same thing, reckoned of grace but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom, the, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. So as you think about this, this glorious exchange, you know, Christ took our sin upon himself, and he places on our account his righteousness. So as we think about that, we have, in this glorious exchange, we have, first of all, a new state or standing. Uh, <clears throat> Paul was, you know, if you think of it this way, Paul was settling or paying a debt, Onesimus, Ode. Notice in verses 18 and 19. If he hath wronged thee, or oweth thee aught, put that on mine account. I, Paul, have written with my own hand, I will repay it. I'll pay it. I do not say to thee how thou owest unto me even thine own self besides. So Paul was saying, you know, if he has wronged thee, or if he has taken something from thee, you know, it seems to indicate that maybe. Onesimus had robbed Philemon in some way and then, and then ran off. You know, he, of course, he was, he, was a, he was a runaway slave, but, but it's, it seems to indicate, in a lot of commentators say, that he probably took something also. So, so Paul says, okay, well, whatever he did, you put it in my account, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. Uh, and this is a picture of what Christ did for us. Uh, Isaiah 56, or 53, 5 and 6, he was wounded for... Our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know, Hebrews 1, verse 3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So 
Christ paid our sin debt. You know, Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. That's what God told Adam and Eve. If you, if you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the day you eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Now, you tell that to the average person, they say, they think physical death. That not was, that's really not what Jesus, the Lord was saying there. He said, the day you eat thereof, ye shall be separated from me. That's what death is. It's separation from God. And, you know, of course, there's going to be an eternal separation eventually for those who reject him. But so the, the wages of sin is death. It's separation from God. Of course, Romans 5.1 says, being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have this access wherein we stand. So uh, by his grace. And then uh, Romans, of course, Romans 8.1 there is therefore now no condemnation. So, you know, Paul's asking of Philemon not to condemn Onesimus as he could have. Under Roman law, he could have. Um, but that wasn't by a biblical law. So he was, he was appealing to a biblical law. Uh, he, he hadn't done anything. You know, it really, he could have been put to death. But biblically, he hasn't done anything worthy of death. But according to Roman law, he could have been put to death. Uh, but you know, again, biblically, so 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 you know, like like Onesimus, he's pleading here for Onesimus' case. We are un, though we are worthy of death, worthy of separation from God for all eternity. We are no longer condemned. Um, there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Uh, and then, of course, Ephesians 1.6 says, that He's made us accepted in the beloved. So we have a new state or standing. We've been accepted. We've been made at peace with God. We are no longer uh, condemned. But notice the second here. Not only is there a new state and standing, there's a new relationship. Uh, and, and there's two thoughts here under this. First of all, if you think about this new relationship, there's a new relationship, of course, with the Lord. Verse 20 says, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. Uh, in verse 3, it says, Grace to you and peace from God. And he uses this word, our Father. So he's including Philemon in that statement there. He is calling God our Father. We have a new relationship with the Lord. He is now our Father. Our Heavenly Father. First John 1 3, uh, um, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we are now been brought into the family of God. I mentioned this, I guess it was Resurrection Sunday. You know, how did Jesus refer to his disciples after the resurrection? He said, go tell my brethren. Now, let me issue a warning here. Though we are in the family of God, Jesus is the firstborn 
among brethren. He is not one of the guys. He is different from us. He is still the Lord. Though he is one of us, though he is one of the brethren in a sense, he is still the Lord. He is still you know, the God-man. And he, you know, he, the Bible speaks of him as the firstborn among many brethren. That word firstborn speaks of authority. It speaks of preeminence. You know, we still worship him. We don't worship each other. We are not to worship each other. We're not worthy of worship, but he is. You see, the, the message of contemporary and casual Christianity is that he's one of us. He's one of the guys. He's one of the boys. He's cool. He's hip. No, God's not cool. He's not hip. He's holy. He's holy. He's not the man upstairs. No, he is the Lord God. You know, but, but you know, we are, but, but, but then we are still in the family of God. Um, and the, you know, the quality of your relationship with your father, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, depends on the time you spend with him, just like it does with your earthly family. Your family is important. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. <clears throat> Second Corinthians six verse fourteen. Of course, this is a fairly familiar passage, but it says, "Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? What part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And I will receive you, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, I've always read that and thought, you know, that, you know we, need to, we need to get rid of all the idols in our lives. How many of you have an idol, Chaz? You know, something like you know, that. You don't have one of those. But, you know, we all have trouble with idols. An idol can be anything that takes preeminence over the Lord. It can be anything. And really, it's shown by, a lot of times, by the time we spend in it. I remember uh, Hal Webb, he was an evangelist years ago, he was telling one time, and I can't remember what the illustration was using, but he was witnessing this fellow, and he said he was washing his motorhome. And he invited him to church. And he said, nope, don't have time for Lord. He said, I spend my Sundays out washing this baby. That was an idol. Motorhome. But you know, an idol, you know, it, it can be really anything. It can be a sport, a game, a person, a business, a hobby. It can even be a spouse. Or a child. The Lord tells us very clearly in Scripture that we're to love Him more than anything else. Now that doesn't mean we hate other, you know, our spouse and our children, but 
But he's to have the preeminence in all things. And so an idol can be anything that takes preeminence over him. Um, it could take away our time or our focus away from the Lord. If we, if we become, again, if there's something in this world that, is, that, that we are more focused on, that we allow to dictate to us our decisions more than the Lord, that's an idol. That's an idol. talking to an older gentleman here not too long ago, professing Christian, and he said uh, when he first, when he was younger, he started, he, he, was, in, he was in the ministry, and he, when he was younger, he, he did some side work, and he was working for this contractor. He said, I worked for him two days. He said, uh, I showed up on the job with my hammer and my nail pouch, and he, they said the contractor came around and said, now, fellas, so we're putting drywall in this house today, and you put a nail at the top, and one in the middle, and one at the bottom. We need to get this job done. And he said, I looked at him, and he looked at me kind of funny, and I said, I step, he said, I stepped back, and I said, uh, I can't do that. He said, that ain't right. He said, well, you can go over to the office and get your paycheck. He said, okay. He said, I went over to the office and got my paycheck from yesterday, and I went home. He said the Lord provided another job. You see, he was asking him to do something that wasn't right. Um, you know, so it, anything like that could be an idol. So we have this new relationship with the Lord. Um, and there's an interesting sta- statement here that I that I notice in. Uh, Verse 12, whom I have sent again, thou therefore receive him, that is, mine own vows. Now, as a father, you know, growing up, I never worried about what I was going to eat or what I was going to wear or where I was going to live. And the reason I never worried about that was because Dad took care of all that. That's what fathers are supposed to do. The Bible says if any provide not for his own house, he's worse than an infidel and hath denied the faith. And, and, And God tells us in his word that he would promise to supply all our needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So, so as a father, you know, we have this relationship with the Lord. And as as we draw near to him, he provides everything that, and as we obey him, he provides everything that we need. And an attack, now think about this, an attack against us, for his name's sake, is an attack against him. Go to Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> Acts chapter 9. You remember who stood by and watched them stone Stephen and held the coats of those who stoned him? That was Saul. And here on his way to Damascus to slaughter and arrest Christians, Saul meets the Lord on the road, the Lord Jesus. And uh, verse 3 says in Acts 9, 
3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined around about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the bricks. You see, he, it didn't, you know, the voice didn't say, well, I'm Stephen, or I'm Silas, or I'm you know, Barnabas. Or, no, he said, I'm Jesus. So Paul said, you know, again, this is a perfect illustration of the relationship we have with the Lord. Paul said, you know, it, you know, he, he's like me. He is, he is, he is mine. How you treat him is how you treat me. So an attack against us is an attack against the Lord. So we have this relationship with the Lord. We have this also relationship one with another. In uh, verse 16, he says, Not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and the Lord. If thou count me therefore a partner... Receive him as myself. And the word partner means associate or companion. Uh, Luke 5.10 says, And so also was James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with, si with Simon. So they were, in, a, they were in, in uh, uh, you know, partnership together, fishing partners together. Uh, they worked together. So they were companions together. That's the idea here. And, and then again, in verse 20, he says, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. And it's interesting, the verse 20, the word let and the word joy are the same Greek word. It's o, o, ninami, I guess is how you say it. And it's interesting, it means useful or to profit. Do you know what an estimate means? Words are similar. <laughs> One commentator said he thinks Paul used that word, those words, on purpose. It's the only places that that Greek word is actually used in the New Testament. The word let and the word joy. When speaking to Philemon. But the idea here is, again, you know, now we are profitable. We are companions, but we are profitable to each other. You know, person in the world, it really isn't all that profitable to you. They'll lead you astray. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Uh, Ephesians 4, verse 3. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I'm going somewhere. Let's just keep. And then uh, Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conversation as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. The idea is of companionship, of partnership, of being profitable to each other again with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Uh, and then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. 
I beseech, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter. Chapter 2, verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So, so we're, to be, we're to profit each other. We're to work together in, as partners, as companions in the church. And yeah, that was a problem at Philippi. Particularly two women. He named them. Um, somebody has said, and I can't remember the, they, they, I, I heard him called by different, one, of them, one, one guy called one of them soon touchy. Uh, but, you know, Sintichi and, and um, Eutychus is the other one. But anyway, um, no, we are to work together. We're not to be envious of what another does or the capacity in which they serve. You know, Paul in, goes on in this chapter, or this book of Philemon, talks about his companions or his laborers together. You know, Paul, think of all the people that worked together with Paul. And they were all a vital part of the ministry that he had. Um, if you drop down to verse 23, it says, uh, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ. Now, Epaphras was believed to be a, a pastor uh, from Colossae. Colossians chapter 1 makes reference to him there also. Of course, Marcus, who was uh, Barnabas's nephew, uh, you know, Barnabas was a, was a landowner. There's Aristarchus. He was from Macedonia. Uh, Demas, who was unreliable, he later forsook Paul. But, and then Lucas, of course, was Luke, the physician. So there's all different kinds of people, yet they came together, worked together for the furtherance of the gospel. You know, again, you know, one was a physician. I, you know, Onesimus was, was helping him at this point, too. He would, he would have been a runaway slave. But, you know, there's no class distinctions in the church. It doesn't matter. We're all partners together. And Paul said, you know, we have, this, we have this relationship one with another. We're to partner together. And then thirdly, we see also a new practice. Uh, verse 11, which in time past was to thee unprofitable, but now profitable to thee and to me. Verses 15 and 16, for perhaps he therefore departed for season that thou shouldest receive him forever not now as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, especially to me, but how much more unto thee, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And then verse 21, having confidence in thy obedience, I wrote unto thee, knowing that thou wilt also do more than I say. So here you have you know, one who was unprofitable, but now is profitable. It's a new practice. You know, Paul had confidence also in Philemon. The word confidence means he was persuaded, or he believed that Philemon would obey the word of God because he knew him. He had led him to the Lord. He knew, what, he knew the testimony of Philemon, and he had confidence that he would do the right thing, that he would receive him. And so receive him. Uh, you know, so you have Onesimus, a runaway slave, slave, now a saint, and profitable to Paul, to Philemon or to whoever. 
And it's interesting, you know, Philemon, just to, to illustrate here his character, Philemon had concern beyond himself. Now, he was a businessman, obviously. He had slaves. But verse 22 says, But will all prepare me also a lodging, for I trust that through your prayers. So Paul had confidence that Philemon was praying for Paul's ministry. Through your prayers, I shall be given unto you. So Spurgeon said this, quote, The transformation of the individual is the key to the transformation of society and the moral environment. But mark this word. The true reforming of the drunkard lies in giving him a new heart. The true reclaiming of the harlot is to be found in a renewed nature. I see certain of my brethren fiddling away at the branches of the tree of vice with their wooden saws. But as for the gospel, it lays the axe at the roots of the whole forest of evil. And if it be fairly received in the heart, it fells all the bad trees at once. And instead of them, there spring up the fir tree, the pine tree, and the box tree together to beautify the house of our master's glory. Unquote. One commentator said this, The conclusion of the letter can lead to us, us to ask, Why is the letter to Philemon in our Bible? In A.D. 110, the bishop of Ephesus was named Onesimus. And it could have been the same man. If Onesimus was in his late teens or early 20s, when Paul wrote this letter, he would then have been about 70 years old in A.D. 110. And that was not an unusual unreasonable age for a bishop in those days. Ignatius, according to Trapp, Ignatius in his epistle to the Ephesians maketh mention of Onesimus as pastor of Ephesus next after Timothy. And the Roman martyrologue, martyrologue saith that he was stoned to death at Rome under Trajan the emperor. Unquote. So you have a changed a new practice, a changed life, changed life. So we have this new standing. We have a new relationship. And if it brings about a new practice. So as years, years ago in Scotland, a simple fisherman was bound by strong drink. On two frequent occasions, he took the money from his catch and spent it on liquor while his wife and children suffered miserably. They lived in a little hovel at the end of the fishing village, out of the sight of most of the villagers. But one day there came a great change. Old John, as he was called, came to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. There was immediate transformation. He brought his full money home and gave it to the astonished wife. He worked more steadily, and soon they had more money than they had in years. The wife bought new clothes, new shoes for the children, and new dresses for herself. There was food on the table, coal for the fire, and all was going very well. After a few weeks of this, his wife said to him one day, John, if you're going to keep on like this, we should begin to think of moving out of this miserable place and taking a better place. Right, said John. I shall go and see the landlord about a new house at once. He made his way through the town to the landlord and asked to rent a good house which was available. The landlord said, I would never rent a good house to you. Why do you say that, asked John. You don't know me at all, and I am quite sure that I am able to pay the rent and that I would make a model tenant for you. Of course I knew you, said the landlord. You're old drunken John the fisherman. I know you're quite mistaken, said John quietly. You have never seen me before. Old John is dead. 
and I am new John, a new creature in Christ Jesus. He opened his purse, poured out a good handful of gold coins to the astonished landlord. You see, there's a glorious exchange when a person receives Christ as Lord and Savior. And there's a new practice that comes about as a result. We go from being unprofitable to profitable. Might God help us to be profitable servants of our Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time and had in your word tonight. Thank you for this example that you give us in your word. And Father, I pray you help us just to be faithful and obedient to your word that we might be profitable servants. And that when we stand before you, we might hear those words, well done, thou profitable, thou good and faithful servant, and in the joy of thy Lord. Just thank you again for your love for us. We pray in Jesus' name.